0: Look, there's basically two modes you're in, right? First mode is you want to eat a lot of chips. And then, yeah, you want something light, something that's not going to fill you up, right? You're waiting at the restaurant, waiting for that entree to show up. You just want those thin restaurant-style chips. But, man, I'm telling you, right now I'm at home, and I, I almost want a meal of tortilla chips. And so what I reach for is just the thickest, crunchiest, most Filling, like I could eat this bag and have it be a well rounded part of your balanced diet kind of meal. That's how thick these chips are. I would say tortilla chips are more of a mindset. Like it's really about (laughs) the spirit of the crunch as you're biting into it. Uh Like, what are you trying to achieve with that little snap? Right. Anyways, that's how I think of tortilla chips. Welcome to episode 423, the uh, ultimate
1: episode of... 2021. I'm Brian Lovin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode. Not the penultimate, which I think is what you're trying to say at first there, but yeah, truly the ultimate episode. The of ultimate, 2021. yeah. We didn't get to demarcate the penultimate one. It, it happened. It's already gone. It was the last episode. Yeah. But this is the ultimate You got a headcanon in it, yeah. It is fun to say penultimate, though. Like. I know, I know. It's such a fun word. You know, the first time I ever
0: learned that word was with uh, Lemmy Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events. And I think one of the books was titled, like, The penultimate peril or something. And I remember as a child, I didn't know what penultimate meant, but I knew that ultimate was a cool word. So penultimate was like a cooler version of the word ultimate. But then I learned it means next, like not ultimate. Yeah, slightly less ultimate. preceding the ultimate. Uh So the meaning of the word is actually less interesting than the sound the word makes as it escapes your mouth. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. anyways. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so gang, we're going to take a little bit of time off. We're going to head into the holidays. Marshall is... On vacation, we pulled him off the couch to record this app. Yeah. And you bastard. <laughs> I'm going to be on a mix of uh, driving and taking a little bit of time away from the desk as well myself. So this is it. This is our last app for the year. I uh, hope you enjoy it. Let's, should we just jump in? Let's dive in. All right. Well, this <laughs> ultimate episode of Design Details is <laughs> brought to you by <laughs> Extremely <laughs> Ultimate Triple XL. Uh, brought to you by. Patreon. (laughs) Patreon is hiring product designers in San Francisco and New York City. Look, we are heading into the new year. You know what that means. New year? New New you. you. You're looking for a new job, even if it's just that little itch in the back of your head. You're like, I want 2022 to be big. Clean start, fresh slate. Mixing up my words. Look, Patreon, (laughs) uh, they're hiring. And there has never been a better time to get in on the ground floor of really exciting new technologies and opportunities to build products for people who make money on the internet. So we use Patreon. We've been using it for years. We love it. We will continue using Patreon. And what they need the most help with right now is someone to come in and lead the design for building tools for creators. Creators like us, podcasters, writers, filmmakers and so much more. In fact, Patreon today supports more than 250,000 creators who collectively have 8 million patrons. They're currently paying out more than 100 million smackaroos every single month to creators. I mean, just totally dominating the creator economy, dare we say. And on top of this, Patreon recently raised a 410 whopper of a Series F, putting them at a $4 billion valuation. So That sounds like a lot, but honestly, the headroom here to grow is enormous. They have an opportunity to 10x or more as they continue to build tools for creators and make it easier for anyone in the world to support people who make things on the internet. So if you want to join some of the best designers, engineers, and product leaders in the industry, you can learn more about the job listings for Patreon at designdetails.fm slash Patreon. Again, now is probably the best time. You're going to hopefully have a little bit of a few days off between now and the end of the year take a look if you want to learn more about patreon or the team or the culture we're also going to have a couple of links in the show notes to a video uh one from the founder jack conti about the second renaissance you should watch it get inspired we'll also have links to learn more about the team and and just patreon's overall culture so click the links in the show notes and if you're ready to start poking at that new job new year new you kind of life head to design details.fm slash patreon apply for a job tell them we sent you and uh yeah thank you patreon for supporting the show and making this ultimate episode
1: possible. Clean start, fresh slate.
0: Clean start, fresh (laughs) slate. Thanks, Patreon. A huge shout-out to our Golden Ratio supporters for this episode. First up is Play. They're back. Play is the first native iOS design tool made specifically for teams creating mobile products. They've made it possible to design, prototype, and collaborate directly from your phone using tons of native iOS features like maps, input text, date pickers, and more. You can download Play from the App Store, and the first 25 people who click the link in our show notes will get that full access invite. So head to createwithplay.com, sign up, grab the app, and then click the link in the show notes. Thank you, Play. Thanks, Blay. We're also supported by Simply. Simply has a lovely feature called Pulse, which is a version tracking application for Figma that lets you and your team clearly understand what's going on, even with hundreds of frames, components, and design files. And Pulse helps you answer the most painful questions about who's changed what, but more importantly, why those things have changed. It adds context to all of your design decisions. You can learn more about Pulse in the Figma community or head to Simply. Dot io at S-Y-M-P-L-I dot I-O. Thanks, Simply. We also have some new Vips this week. Hey. A healthy little group of uh, very important pixels to head into the holidays with. So huge shout-outs to Sean McGuigan, Aislinn Kelly, Pateri Tilika, Eric, Katie Chen, Gabe De La Mora. Ooh, De La Mora. But I want De La as my interspersed middle name. I don't yeah. know if, if that's technically a middle name, but... Gabe De La Mora. That is beautiful.
1: Brian De La
0: Lovin'. <laughs> <laughs> Brian of the Lovin'. Yeah. I love it. Jonathan, Sander Kalmas, Y. Chen, and last but not least, Miranda Lemmer. Thank you all nice. for uh, supporting the show. Welcome to the fam. Yeah, welcome in. Be sure to catch your first sidebar this week and start digging into that backlog of sidebars. If you didn't know, we're a listener-supported podcast, which means that every week folks like you make this show possible for us to record and, and create every single week week over week for uh, seven years running that happens on patreon at patreon.com slash design details on there we have a special supporter only rss feed that contains bonus episodes double apps every week we call those bonus episodes the sidebar
1: sidebar sidebar
0: extra listener question extra juicy design topic and in the spirit of this being our last episode of the year, this week's sidebar, we're talking about all of the things that we want to learn next year, things we want to dive into, things we're going to try uh, as a little complement to our main topic. So if you want to get double eps today, as well as the whole backlog and, of course, the sidebars going forward, head to patreon.com slash details. You can sign up. And just a reminder, it's only a buck a month. It's just a buck a month. Just a dollar a month you get access to that extra sweet, juicy design details content. So thank you everyone who's joined the fam this week. We appreciate you and everyone else. uh, Patreon.com
1: slash design details.
0: Thanks, everybody. Welcome to the fam. All right,
1: Brian, let's get into this episode. We got some follow up. Rapid fire.
0: Okay. Last week we had a complaint episode. Mostly good reactions, I think. I don't know. Some people aren't vibing with hearing us complain about stuff for 45 minutes. But (laughs) I can't uh, imagine why. Here's
1: a little bit of follow up. (laughs) Here's a few more things to complain about. Uh, Kick us off. All right. Uh, Of course, I thought of some things afterwards. So, first one I thought of the two finger edge swipe on trackpads to bring in the notification Uh center on Mm -hmm. macOS. Great feature. I trigger it on accident all the time, especially in logic, like trying to scroll really far horizontally across a a Mm -hmm. long audio waveform. Right. I'll I'll be throwing it, throwing it and then accidentally pull the edge in like, ah, shit, and have to like swipe it back out and then continue doing what I was doing. Happens relatively frequently, even in Figma scrolling around the canvas. Yeah, you know you can turn that off, right? I know, but I like it when I want it. <laughs> it just happens sometimes when I don't want it. But I want it sometimes. sometimes. But I want it. No, read my yeah. mind, computer. Understand yeah. when is good and when is not good. Be better. Actually, they could figure out. if I'm If I'm like swipe, 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 like doing major horizontal swiping and then I accidentally do it, They should figure out, like, okay, you did three or four successful horizontal scrolls before this happened. You might not have wanted it to happen. They could figure it out. Fair enough. Anyways, that's my first one. So the second one, I don't know if you've tried to reorder widgets on iOS when you put them into a stack. No. Uh, not a stack specifically, but
0: I do know that reordering widgets on iOS is a hilarious exercise in watching stuff move to places that you would have never expect them to move. Oh yeah, to,
1: the, so. the home screen—that's well-trodden territory. Like pe- people have complained about that plenty. I'm talking about when you drop a widget on top of another widget, and then you want to reorder those widgets within the stack. It used to be, I think, when they first introduced this in 14, there was—you tap, and the card would flip around, and there'd be a vertical list with draggy handles that you could reorder now it's a visual thing where you have to tap and hold and drag the widgets around but the window that the widgets live in is just a little bit larger than the widget so you end up dragging it out of the (laughs) window Uh world container all the time or and they don't Mm -hmm. respect the edge very well so you have to drag it really far that the distance between too far and not far enough is really small and sometimes they don't pop around where you want them to it's like almost unusable so Anyways, yeah, widget reordering within a stack on iOS.
0: All right. Fair enough.
1: Uh, Third one. Swiping in, I think Gabe, friend of the pod, has complained about this before, the swipe into the camera from the lock screen on iOS. So swipe right to left, you end up in the camera. But if you swipe left to right, once you're in the camera, you can't get back out. You can't go back. Yeah, Yeah, that's annoying, yeah. Yep, that's the thing that seems like it would be intuitive to leave the same way you came in, but (laughs) the door locks Mm -hmm. behind you. Sorry, you got to go out Mm -hmm. through that other door. You got to swipe up Mm -hmm. from the bottom.
0: Yeah, that's a good one. We got actually got a couple more on Twitter as well. We got a tweet from Graham Connell who says... To pile onto the complaint episode, animations that take way too long drives me nuts, like a hover animation that takes a full second to complete. I'm thinking... I'm thinking 300 milliseconds max. Obviously, it depends on the context. It yeah. depends, but mostly for like interactions. Depends stuff. on the distance
1: traveled, all that
0: stuff. Yeah, but yeah, yeah for yeah, the most yeah. part. But yeah, generally, like, 250 like, is pretty good. 250, 300. I think th- 300 is what I kind of type by default for some reason. That number's in my brain. But uh, anything faster feels particularly snappy and it gets to the point where it's almost hard to tell that there's an animation. but...
1: Yeah, it all depends on the curve, too, right? Like, you know, the mm-hmm, duration is mm-hmm. just one part of that feel. True, true, true. Anyways, agree, though.
0: We also had another tweet from Antonia Heck, who says, Complain episode, apps not having dark mode. Ahem, Figma.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. That'd be nice. Yeah, I think there's plugins. No?
0: Someone made, yeah, someone oh, made one.
1: But it doesn't work anymore, that's right. Yeah, someone made one yeah, a while ago. Yeah, I think it, and got it got discontinued, yeah. Yeah.
0: Antonia continues. Electron apps that suck all the RAM. Yeah, that one's interesting. Everyone hates electron apps for this reason, and more and more apps are launching as electron apps, but also computers are getting more and more powerful. I don't know. This feels like software just discovers it has more space to, to fill and will fill it. So this feels like a never-ending race of just using as many resources as possible. So I think I agree with you on that. Uh, services that are U.S.-only. Yeah, I guess I can't say I understand that, except obviously when traveling abroad and then you hit, <laughs> you cannot use the service. You're like, but I bought it in yeah. the country.
1: that. Yeah, I mean, living in San like, Francisco is like the epicenter of the epicenter <laughs> where it's like yeah. any new thing is going to happen here first. And we get access mm-hmm. to it, even if it ends up failing. We get to check it out. Yeah.
0: All right, last thing mentioned in this tweet is everything is now subscription-based. Yeah. Uh, Subscription models—the name of the game these days. It's definitely that stuff adds up. Two, three bucks at a time, times twenty services. Yeah, there's your monthly budget. Yeah, just a buck a um, month, Brian. Just a buck. <laughs> Come on, just a buck a month, amongst, <laughs> alongside all the other buck a month subscriptions. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Just, just yeah, uh, no add this straw to the back of that cam well, It'll, it'll be fine.
0: Yeah, what could go wrong? Uh, I had one other little bit of follow-up too, Marshall, and I kind of went crazy on mine. Well, not super crazy. I just wrote a quick blog post about it. iMessage spam. Man, I am just getting so much spam via text these days. And so I wrote a blog post that says, Dear Apple, please fix iMessage spam. But really, my only complaint, like they have all of the primitives to deal with it. My only complaint is it is incredibly tap-intensive to block a contact and delete a conversation. It takes about 12 taps to block a sender and delete that conversation that they just sent you. And I think there's a way to get it down to three, which is basically I ended up just screenshotting. I was like, oh, I'm going to do an unsolicited redesign of iMessage. I was like, you know what? Actually, Instagram, Messenger, Twitter, like all these other messaging services have pretty much solved this or at least rallied around common patterns that we can just learn from. So I scrapped the unsolicited redesign mostly because I'm lazy, but also because I could just take screenshots and have it communicate my point. But basically, I think iMessage should have a new feature for unknown contacts when they send you that first message and you have the option to block, slash report, delete, or approve and accept that message into your inbox. Anyways, that's my last complaint. episode follow-up.
1: Cool. Good complaints, Brian. So now we're going to have a compliment episode, right? right? No? Oh, okay.
0: (laughs) No, you know what? We actually thought about doing that, but we remembered, I think it was episode 414, we did memorable software moments, and I feel like that was us ranting, not ranting, lavishing for an hour about our favorite delightful little details in, in the software that we use. So hopefully that's a counterweight to us complaining for an hour. All right, let's continue. Main topic time, Marshall. It's the end of the year, at least for us. This is the ultimate episode For 2021, and I thought it might be fun if we just recap a little bit. Specifically, what are things that stand out for you this year that you learned or or skills you picked up, or or just things that you feel like you improved upon this year? Then, in the sidebar, we can maybe be a little bit more forward-looking and talk about okay, well, these are the things that I picked up this year. Here's what we want to try next year in 2022. Obviously, accounting for the fact, New Year's resolutions can be flaky. Things will change. No one can predict a pandemic. But maybe we can be a little bit forward-looking in, in the sidebar and think ahead. So I can kick us off since I've I've teed us up. The first thing that I wrote down for me this year was I feel like 2021 was the year that I really dove headfirst into design advising/slash angel investing. And I've never done it really before, but I kind of jumped in and started working with a ton of companies. It really started around January, February. But by March or April, I was working with more companies than really I had time for. In fact, I probably overcommitted here. Uh, so, anyways, I'll, I'll have to figure out how to find a better balance next year. But it's been a really, really fun year. And I've learned a lot, specifically just getting back into working with early stage folks and like revisiting the challenges that designers have when they're the first person. At a brand new startup that's unproven, is still figuring out how to get customers. Like just getting to revisit those challenges with people has been really fun. Uh, one of the the interesting things that I've learned is I, I didn't realize just how hungry founders are these days for a designer to come in and really shape the direction of a product. I feel like designers historically, at least on Twitter, like to talk about you know wanting a seat at the table man, there are so many seats open at the table at these early stage companies for people who are willing to take a little bit of a risk and get in and actually sort of flex what they've learned as a designer to change the way the startup is going to be built. And so it's really exciting to see that. Um, Almost all of the founders I'm working with, when I ask them about their priorities, it's like, Well, of course, we got to grow the business, like make sure we're acquiring customers. And then the next one is we need to hire designers. Like it's incredible just to see how uh, in demand designers are at that stage. You know, I've certainly learned a lot, written a little bit about what I've learned, but I think I'm still trying to figure out how to add the most value as an advisor. It's always a little bit of a tricky balance where, you know, you get an hour or two at a time, and I don't want to commit to actually moving pixels. So then there's just this weird middle area of how can I actually be useful and kind of where I've rallied around is just more being like a critique partner with those first design hires or helping people find, interview, screen their first design hire. So anyways, I don't know. Maybe I'll I'll get some more evolution here in the future, but I'm not sure exactly how much I'll do that's new in 2022. Like I think I'd like to keep working with the companies I'm working with, but maybe not put more time in and create more time commitments and next year and maybe switch that time to my own projects.
1: Gotcha. Cool.
0: So yeah, that's my first thing. You want to go?
1: Yeah, we can alternate. All right. Well, uh, this year, 2021 was the first year I spent the entire year doing design system stuff at YouTube. And I had started before that, but it was a lot of like setting up and logistics and getting everything up and running. And this is the first year it's actually been kind of up and running internally and uh, learned a lot of things. Um, It's been interesting to see how the roster of people that handles the design system evolves just as much as the design system itself. You know what I mean? Like, uh, that was something I didn't plan for a lot. It's like, Not necessarily, I don't want to call it churn, but like, you know, people come and go, people leave and new people get hired who are better suited for that maybe or whatever. Like the the roles change and it's really difficult to maintain the institutional knowledge from one person and make sure that it's handed off successfully to the subsequent person, you know, but... Uh, yeah, that was a, a thing that I learned. I was like, oh, man, this stuff evolves. There's there's two things that are evolving, not just the language and the patterns and all that stuff, but the people who handle it.
0: Yeah, I guess my follow-up question there is like, what's actionable or what's been actionable for you on that front? Obviously, you're still figuring it out, but I could imagine, I don't know, that that process of watching the roster change might encourage you to invest more in documentation or onboarding or... I don't know, creating content to ramp people up. Like, has that become a priority or or is
1: that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Onboarding has become a, a big priority for this next year of like getting together asynchronous documentation that we can hand people off to that is both entertaining to consume, but also informational and retainable so that I don't have to have the same conversation 40 times a year. <laughs> uh-huh. Which yeah. I don't mind having yeah. that conversation, but my time could be used better doing other things, especially if we can capture it once, and then everybody watches that thing. So yeah, that's something I'm I'm working on day one when I return in January.
0: I, I think design systems documentation is a fascinating design challenge on its own. Like trying to, you know, even watching something like the material design docs evolve over time or watching the HIG evolve over time. And then, of course, lots of companies publish their own design system as kind of like marketing. Um, but seeing how how different folks structure that, communicate it, some people focus really heavily on the implementation details, right? Like, how do I get the code for this thing? And then other teams focus more on like the principles of it or the usability of it, the experience of it, and less so on the code. Uh, and I think that says a lot about an organization, right? I think Apple is very principled, right? Like, do this because it creates a great user experience. It's memorable. It's what users will appreciate. And I think material tends to skew. Uh, they have that, but skews, I think, more detailed. Like, do these things specifically. Here's the grid lines. Here's the the specs, right? right? Cool. All right, right. You're Cool. Uh, the second thing I wrote down, all right, so in May, I wrote a blog post called How to Give a Great Product Design Portfolio Presentation. And at the end of that blog post, by the way, you, you were one of my reviewers on that. I just <sighs> scrolled down and gave you a little, little shout out. So thank you for that. Um, this blog post was really impactful, actually, this year. I think a lot of people read it. And when I first published it, I had a little call to action at the bottom where I offered to do portfolio presentation dry runs with people. And basically, I opened up two hours every Friday. So two slots every Friday. Basically from May through October, I did that uh, meeting with two new people every week. And part of it was, I felt like I could help and like give back. And part of it was selfish, right? Like I just wanted to meet designers and I tried to recruit several people uh, (laughs) through that process. Like getting to meet people just in that dry run setting. So mixed incentives there. But okay, I think this was a really important thing that I did. And I, I had a couple takeaways. So the first is for people who did the dry run, I just heard over and over again that it was a very high impact way to spend an hour of their time. And, you know, it was for me, like now this is kind of my go-to advice for people who are about to interview or they're, they're wondering like what an interview process should feel like. My advice is go find a dry run partner. It can be someone outside of design. It could be a spouse or whatever, roommate. It doesn't even have to be someone in design. Just find someone to to sit there and nod and smile as you give your presentation. Because what I noticed is a lot of the people who I was doing these dry runs with, they really struggle from a couple things. One is confidence, which is, are they confident that they know what they're about to say? Have they practiced, right? Practice breeds confidence. So get that dry run out of the way where there's no stakes. And I think the other thing that people really struggle with is linear storytelling. So going from I did this, and because of that, I learned this, and because I learned this, I tried this next, and then this happened, and so after that happened, we did this, and the results were this. How do you draw a line through your work or through the story of shipping a product? And the dry run exposes holes in that story or exposes parts where you've broken out of a linear format and you're getting circular or or you have really disconnected segments like, you know, we did the research and then here's the hi-fi mocks. It's like, okay, there's a huge gap in the story here. Let's dig in and talk about how you arrived there. So those two things, confidence, the dry run just inherently helps through practice and then using that dry run to expose gaps in the linear storytelling. And I don't know, maybe this is me patting myself on the back, but I'm going to mention this because for other people who are listening, who are in a position where they could do these dry runs with other people, like if you are, you know, further along in your career, I found that this was a really, really rewarding way to help people who are earlier in their career. Uh, in fact, there was a couple of moments where I was able to talk people through some salary negotiations, and they ended up getting like five digits of extra base income on their salary, like really meaningful numbers because. A lot of people who are new to tech don't realize how crazy the numbers are in tech, especially Bay Area tech. And so you can just talk to people and be like, oh, you thought you should be making like 60K? You're like, no, you should you should be making like six figures, right? And having them take that back and actually get it was, it felt good. And I only say this to encourage other people who are in that position, like this feels really good. So if you have a couple hours a week, felt like this is a really high impact way to spend a couple of hours get to meet some really interesting younger designers who are doing some really cool work. Like several of them have kept in touch. Several people I I, in fact was DMing with today and yesterday. Um, Yeah. This was a really
1: big highlight of my 2021. So
0: portfolio dry runs. Who would have thought?
1: Yeah. Well me, I mean, that's pretty obviously a cool (laughs) thing. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Cool thing before the cool things.
1: All right. Um, Well, while we're talking about jobby stuff, uh, Let's talk about promotion a little bit. So I got promoted this year. It's been a while since i had been promoted, but I, I got a promotion this year. But I also had a lot of conversations with people who were going up for promotion or considering going up for promotion this year. And one of the things that became apparent is this idea of just because you feel like you're ready doesn't necessarily mean that you are ready for that next level, right? Um, just because you want it doesn't necessarily mean you deserve it. Um, I've had to deal with this myself, right? Like, ah, I feel like I'm on that next level up. But when you really look at it, like, no, I just want it. I'm not really actually ready for it. And a lot of times you have to trust your colleagues who have your best interest at heart to tell you that reality of like, hey, you you should, uh, the word we sometimes use is marinate. You should be doing the work of that next level for long enough that no one can deny that it's your default mode. I think we've talked about this a little bit this year in in, in an episode or two, but it's not just lip service. It's not just, you know, hurry up and wait your turn or something like that. Like the amount of time you spend showing that the work that you're doing isn't a fluke. This is not a temporary push that you're willing to do. This is how you operate as a default. Yeah. So, uh, on the other side of that, like if you truly aren't ready, pushing too hard for something that you don't deserve is actually a lot worse than just waiting too long for something that you do deserve. You know? Interesting. Okay. Have you heard of the the Peter Principle? Uh, sounds familiar. Enlighten
0: me. Oh, you're gonna like this. The Peter Principle in a hierarchy, every employee tends to rise to their level of incompetence which means people generally rise up to the ranks until they actually can't do their job. And this is why people tend to be frustrated with middle managers or, or even leaders is you work really hard, you get promoted, you keep getting promoted, and oftentimes you get promoted very quickly and early, and you end up in a situation where you're just bad at your job. And that's fine to a degree. Like You want to be in a position where you're stretching and growing and, and facing new challenges. That's the way to grow but what you've just described is like basically the one way to uh, remedy that like make sure you're not setting yourself up for failure of of being promoted to a job where you're going to be incompetent by just doing that job for a little while ahead of time and the problem i think is people can feel like they've been stuck there too long right like that's maybe up to organizational taste how long do you let someone marinate in that position So maybe someone who's been there for three months, they're like, I've been doing it for three months. I deserve the promo. But for a company that thinks longer term, maybe that period is more like one, two, three years, right? Like actually quite a long time between levels. So anyways, I'm sure that's
1: different in a lot of places, but yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, not to mention all the resets that can happen in the middle of like yeah. switching teams, getting a new manager, changing roles, whatever. Well, I think
0: that's the, the real painful part here. Because I agree, like you want to marinate at a level, build that, that competence, build up a track record. But man, you just hear these horror stories from people who have had five managers in two years. And I really do believe that that sets people back. Like that's lost context, it's lost trust, it's lost relationship building. And that can actually cause a delay in an otherwise
1: deserved promotion. Well, that's when you're marinating. You're not. You're not marinating in the role. You're marinating with the people in that role, so that other people can see how much you're soaking up that sauce. You know what I mean? Like, Ooh. Uh-huh. Uh, to extend <laughs> that, the that metaphor, that good design <laughs> sauce. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, does that chicken really actually taste like the marinade, or has it just been dipping its toes for a little bit? Man, we're, we're stretching this metaphor, <laughs> but uh, get the idea of like. And when those people leave new people come in, they're like, well, I don't know how long you've been sitting in that marinade for. Like, I don't know, prove it to me. So every time yeah, you switch fire, teams. Fire up the
0: grill, you know? <laughs>
1: yeah. Meanwhile, you're like, I can't get any more marinated than I have. So yeah, that uh, manager's changing. Like I said, yeah, switching teams are changing your role that all of those things will set you back. And that's a bummer and and there can also be problems with like managers artificially holding you back because of some spiteful thing for whatever reason so right yeah but on on the average in general that's what i was talking about all right my third and final
0: thing that i that came to mind as i thought about what happened in 2021 i feel like i got better at storytelling this year i don't know marshall (laughs) I've been doing this podcast for years and I feel like we've talked about storytelling over and over and over again. And I've been through several jobs and I understand like conceptually storytelling, it's important, you know, have raised money, have pitched investors, have done these things. I feel like I just got better at it this year. Actually better at it in a way where I was getting feedback from people whose opinions I trust. They're like, you're really good at storytelling. And I don't know, I guess I'm I'm bragging uh, a little bit. But that was one thing I learned. And I think the reason that I I got better at it was because I was put into a position where I was acting a little bit more like a team lead. And the only way to get stuff done, to get projects prioritized or to align priorities across multiple teams where everyone has different opinions about what should be built, was to tell stories. So it's really less that like my storytelling skills. Well, I, they got better, but I think they only got better because I had a lot more shots on goal. If that makes sense, I told lots of stories that ultimately went nowhere. Uh, they failed, but I think that's okay. It was really about the number of shots on goal that helped me arrive at a handful of things that ended up, you know, becoming projects to work on and, and projects to ship. So how do I distill some actionable advice out of this? I think how you know designers could think about how do they put themselves in situations where they're forced to tell more stories part of that at least at, at GitHub on our team we have this process called pitching where anyone on the team can pitch features to build or or projects for the rest of us to work on and i don't know if every other company has that but that's one way to to get more shots on goal is pitch ideas tell your manager about things you want to work on and you know maybe Nine out of ten are duds, but you get that one one out of ten that's a home run. It's the the repetition, the practice of seeing what gets people excited. What are the the parts that people ask follow up questions on? What where, where do the most interesting conversations happen? I feel like that only happens when you just get more and more practice here. So that's what happened to me this year through a variety of of circumstances with with team changes and and just company priorities changing. So yeah, storytelling it's fun. I feel like obviously could just get better and better at it forever. Uh, It's a skill that will never be done, but got a lot of practice this year. Cool story, bro. Cool story. Brian just patting himself on the back. All right. (laughs) You go. Um,
1: All right. And lastly, um, this is so holistic, Brian. (laughs) Holistic and wholesome. Wholesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, My bullet point for this was, Everything is design, uh, Mm, which mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. true and sounds kind of pompous, but it's true. Um, Dangerously close to everyone is a designer, which is also true. Hot, hot tamale. It's also true. And this is why everyone is a designer is because everything is design or at least everything (laughs) is designed. But Uh I think everything is design, even stuff that isn't obviously designed. So I guess the point here is inspiration for your work can kind of come from anywhere, right? That could be movies or industrial design like interfaces influenced by physical products even like your everyday life stuff. Oh, I was listening to Olivia Rodrigo had like a, a thing where she was reviewing her sour album. She talked about how she keeps a note open all, all the time that just has like sayings or little little words, phrases that she hears and she, that she thinks are interesting and writes those down and works those into her songs. And uh, I think it's important to do something similar, not just with like the other apps that you see, the patterns that you notice, or the language or the styling that you think is interesting, kind of noting those things for yourself, either literally in a screenshots or whatever, or just mentally, but not just in other apps, but in anything, right? And in, in movies or in social situations, there are things you can learn that you can bring back to your own work, both hard skills and soft skills. Um, I wrote down an example here of. One of the reasons I watch Survivor so much is I find it fascinating (laughs) from a social Uh standpoint.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, Survivor is about incentive design. And I feel like as designers, half of our job is just figuring out what are the incentives that we want to create in our product. Do we want people to leave more comments? Do we want people to follow other people? Do we want people to watch more stuff, right? That's incentive design. And you can affect that through interfaces. You can affect it through design systems and, and interaction patterns, like all of these things, you know, whatever incentives you align on is shapes the rest of the product. So you can look at other incentive design systems, you know, survivor is a good example, but I also just look at the economy, like what's happening in the economy right now. Why do people not want to go back to work? Like that's an incentive design problem. And it's fun to try and map that back to your own day-to-day life. Uh, that one's perhaps a little bit more abstract, but, uh, yeah, that well, makes
1: sense. Here's a more specific one. Uh, video games. Video games have interfaces, Brian. I don't know if you know this, but like basically every, every video <laughs> uh-huh. game has a UI. And video games have much different problems to solve than your average app or website does. But those problems that they solve can inspire you to solve a different problem in a similar way or change the way you think about it. I don't have an exact example here, but... Uh, maybe like flyout menus or something like this. We have, you know, long press on Twitter, the, the fab in the bottom right. Like you long press and you can choose spaces and it's got these flyout things. Like this is, you know, a weapon select wheel basically that has existed for years in first person shooter games, right? Like you hold a button and a wheel comes up and you move a stick to rotate around to the quadrant and let go. And that becomes the thing. And now this is like, that's how you choose to do a a fleet or whatever. (laughs) Uh Anyways, I guess I'm saying play video games.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So actually, technically, you're not on vacation right now. Like when you're watching a movie, this is you're on the clock.
1: Yeah. Honestly, though, like I I think it's important to like I was saying with the singer metaphor thing about like always be in a mindset to capture those things when they happen or, or to see the world through that design lens so that you can recognize them when they happen as something to be captured, you know?
0: Yeah, building on that point, I feel like one thing that has been really hard to be actively aware of, but is incredibly useful for my day to day work, but also just as designers in general so I I work on the mobile apps at GitHub and obviously we're building a lot of features that also exist on the website. And so we have these questions about like when and how should it work on the phone compared to on the computer. And there's a lot of workflows and moments where I reach for my phone and then something in my subconscious is like, ah, just wait till I'm back on my computer. I'll just do it on my computer. It's faster. And it's a very natural process, right? Like our brains are wired to find the path of least resistance to accomplish some task. The thing is being aware of that moment where you decide to not use one product versus another, that is a moment that can be studied and analyzed and broken down into problems and broken down into product briefs and broken down into you know like what are the incentives that we're creating to choose one platform or the other? Why is this better than that? and I feel like you know i I gave the example of how I'm using that to hopefully make the mobile apps better, but I think that exists in the world. Why do you reach for Safari over Firefox or why do you reach for I don't know, whatever, this camera over that, like literally every decision that we're making in life, we're choosing the the better, easier, faster thing. And if you can extract the the design portion of that, I feel like you can bring that back to your home, right? Like I reach for this thing because I really prefer this, whatever, sidebar layout. Or I, I reach for this thing because I think their colors are, are more clear. I reach for this thing because they always have helpful labels and, and nice haptics, right? Like, but the problem is we absorb all of that context subconsciously. So flipping that from being subconscious to, to conscious, which I feel like you have done well with video games and movies, right? Like I think one of the criticisms of people, you know, watching so much television is it's a very passive thing. You know, the boob tube, you're just zoning out, but there is active, there can be active participation in these things and, and learning like, why was that funny or uh, you know, like, why is this show engaging and these other shows are not?
1: Yeah, I feel like maybe I do that too much, right? Like,
0: <laughs> no, Marshall.
1: Yeah, okay. yeah definitely. Yeah, I do it too much, apparently. Yeah. Um, yeah, I went to a comedy show. I saw Trevor Noah a couple of days ago. And the whole time I'm watching, I'm just like listening from like a comedy construction perspective. I'm like thinking about how he wrote the joke and like the words he's using, the timing, and the the body motions he's using. I'm like, I should just be enjoying the comedy, but I'm like, <laughs> yeah, deconstructing yeah, yeah. At some point, I'm you, watching it. Same thing I do with movies yeah, at some point and TV shows. And, yeah, yeah,
0: that's the problem. I can imagine. I can picture Marshall uh, sitting in the crowd, just grim-faced, with a notepad open. Mm, mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting. Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> Everyone around he's laughing and having a good time. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So everything is design, Brian. Everything is design. That's the ultimate bullet point for the main topic here.
0: All right. Uh, well, this was fun. Thanks for sharing.
1: It was. Uh, yeah. yeah
0: Let us know. Tweet at us. Leave us some comments. What else did you take away from this year? What was memorable or or interesting? What'd you learn? What'd you accomplish? All right. Well, let's move on to cool things and then we'll head into the sidebar where we can talk about things we want to work on next year. All right, you go first. Marshall. Hopefully this is obvious to people, but I could not come up with a cool thing. Some weeks, you know, we just gotta have a cool thing. I'm like, I just didn't do anything cool this week. Like I didn't try anything new, didn't watch a new show, didn't download a new app. So I'm going through my phone, I'm looking around my computer, any new apps, any new cool websites? Did I read anything interesting? I just had one of those weeks where, nah, there's nothing new. But I look down as I reach for this bag, the most delicious tortilla chips I've ever had in the world. So this cool thing will be incredibly, I think, geographically specific because I've only ever seen this brand of tortilla chips in one grocery store in my whole life. And they are called Primavera Tortilla Chips uh, for people who are in San Francisco. I bought these at the Buy Right on Divisadero. And how do I even describe these golden, crunchy masterpieces of tortilla chips? Let's just back up a little bit. First of all, I am a tortilla chip connoisseur. I know my shit. I know the good brands from the bad brands. I have my tastes, my preferences, my moods. I know when I want this kind of crunch profile versus that kind of crunch profile. And I can adjust my buying habits accordingly. These Primavera tortilla chips, let me just say this. They are not always in stock because this shit sells fast. If you're at BuyRight Right and you see a bag of these, you grab a bag of these. They're like $7 and you get like 20 chips, but they're that good. Why are they that good? Marshall, these things are thick, is a goddamn pencil they're so <laughs> thick Never crispy two. crunchy salty oily let me read you the ingredients okay stone ground corn expeller pressed canola oil sea salt you know shit's good when there's three ingredients right that's the sign more than 10 ingredients you get into all the chemicals and all that kind of shit you're in processed food land here three ingredients and uh they're excellent I've never Googled the brand, don't know anything about it. They are in a pretty plain, nondescript white bag. In fact, there are no nutrition facts on these. So as far as I know, these are distributed by Byrite, and they're impossible to get anywhere else. Um, So I guess you could Google them, Primavera Tortilla Chips. Otherwise, for people planning their pilgrimage to San Francisco at some point in the next year, be sure to swing by Byrite and try Primavera Tortilla Chips. The crunch
1: your mouth deserves. <laughs> well done. That's my cool thing. <laughs> the crunch your mouth deserves. Uh, you, you just made up mm-hmm. a whole motto for them and everything. That's great. I'm thinking about moving into sales. I, I I think you have a bright future, Brian. Are you salivating more or less
0: after hearing me describe my cool thing today.
1: I, I have had those and they're very good. The, the taste, the salt content, the oil content, mm-hmm. very, very mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. The tasty chip. And a good load for a nice hefty salsa bite too. Yeah.
0: Okay, all right. We got to stop talking about chips. Go. Tell okay. me your cool thing. So, my cool thing. Actually, wait. You know what? Hang on. Since this is the last episode of the year, we can do whatever we want, right? Yeah. I'd, I'm going to add this in for just dramatic effect. All right, you ready for this? It's going to blow people's minds.
1: Do it. Do you hear that? I do.
0: I really hope the heft of that crunch carried through and was preserved in the audio. There you go.
1: I don't know that. Can can we get another one in there?
0: I'll have to beef up the bass (laughs) in post. It'd be really funny if you could beef up the bass and like put a little electric guitar in the background, like, you
1: know. (laughs) Uh, Think about it. Yeah, I'll, I'll consider it. All right. Uh, All right. Cool thing, Brian. Enough, enough goovin
0: around. Enough goofing around being silly. Serious. Design podcast, serious time.
1: Yeah. I actually have a, a physical product to recommend. And this was a gift. My dad sent me this as one of my Christmas presents. Uh, I don't know if you have a multi tool in the house, Brian. Do you have like a, a toolkit, <laughs> Brian? Like hammer, screwdriver, uh, all that stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm
1: gonna just
0: demonstrate how utterly horrible I am in that uh, department. But I have the IKEA box, uh, their tool set, the with orange screwdriver, one with
1: the clear top, the orange one with the clear lid. Yeah, yeah. It,
0: I swear. If ever, I bet every single person listening to this podcast has that.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, one of the things I picked up was. A Leatherman like multi-tool, which has like pliers and a knife and Phillips head, flathead screwdriver, a bunch of, you know, it's like a Swiss Army knife, but heavier duty. And the, the brand was Leatherman. That was the one that I'd heard of. My dad just sent me a different one. It's by a brand called Gerber. Like the baby food, yeah, yeah, not the baby food, but uh, yeah, I think it's GerberGear.com.
0: Gerber is really diversifying in, and, in yeah,
1: surprising know. and unexpected ways. Yeah, both ends of the spectrum, you know. Uh, so the the brand is Gerber. The model that he got me is Truss. It's such a great thing to just have in the junk drawer in your kitchen for like when you need to tighten a screw cut something really quick or measure something really quick or file something down like instead of getting out that big ass tool kit it's nice to just have this thing in a drawer that you can whip out so i didn't know that he was going to get this for me but it's it's a really great tool and I'm, i'm happy to have the upgrade so i figured i'd share it with the pod folks again perfect for the junk drawer beautiful all right
0: link in the show notes
1: alrighty well we did it Brian we did it
0: the ultimate episode another year of design details in the can man doesn't feel like it's been a year No, they fly now man well congrats I guess another year enjoy some time off Marshall yeah yeah and I hope everyone else gets to enjoy some time off Uh, take some days enjoy yourself and uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you again in, in the new year In the meantime of course you know you can follow us on twitter as always at design details fm Uh, if you have questions or topics that you want us to dig into next year please open an issue on our github repo link in the show notes of course if you are looking for a new job in the year 2022 fresh start think about patreon patreon is hiring product designers in san francisco and new york city to lead the design of their creator tools. You can go help more than 250,000 creators make money online. Pretty awesome opportunity, and you can learn more about it at designdetails.fm slash Patreon. Of course, we're also users of Patreon. If you wanna support this show, become one of those eight million patrons currently on Patreon. That happens at patreon.com slash design details where for just a buck a month,
1: just a buck a month,
0: support us and get access to bonus episodes every week via the sidebar sidebar sidebar. So be sure to head over there and grab this week's sidebar where we're going to be talking about some forward looking things some goals we have for next year. So this has been episode 423 last of 2021. Thank you all for joining us and thanks for a great year of podcasting. Yeah. Hope to
1: see you next year. It's been a wonderful one. Mm-hmm. Happy New Year!
0: We also have some new Vips this week. A healthy little group of uh, very important pixels to head into the holidays with. So huge shout outs to San. Uh, You already fucked it up.
1: (laughs) Sean. It's a huge shout out. It's not even a strange, different name. It's Sean. (laughs) S E A N. What did I say? Did I say San? San. San. Like Francisco.